Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church to make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. Amen. Amen. Thanks, worship team. Thank you, you guys. I want to publicly give thanks to all the people that had so many nice words to say about my 40th birthday. It's going to be an amazing decade. That's what I'm believing. Uh, I remember when I was 20, I used to say 40. I'm like, man, these people are old farts. I mean, it's 40-year-olds. And now that I'm 40, I changed my mind. <laughs> it's funny because my dad's 60. My dad's actually 67, and he started saying the same when he was 40 about people that were 60. And he says, now that I'm 60, I mean, I, mean, I got to talk about the people that are 80. And it's funny. I, th- I think that youth has nothing to do with age. Right? I think that as long as you got God in your heart, there's always something to live for. There's always new endeavors. There's always new things that challenge us. And, and it's good to have a life of Christ inside of us, no matter how old you are. You know, I've known some people that are 17 and they've given up on life. I know people that are 80 years old and they're strong. They're ready to go. So what's important is that you have God in your heart. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them it's going to be a good Sunday night tonight. Tell them, open your heart because God has something to speak to you. Thank you for everything you guys did. The video was amazing. I want to thank my beautiful wife also for making this birthday special. And I'm ready to share the word of God with you tonight. I've been wanting to speak about this. It has to do with procrastination. How many of you guys could admit that you guys procrastinate for some things? Ooh, right off the bat, I saw Jesus. Yeah, you were like, just, psh, just that's me. You know, when I was in school, I went to FIU. I'm an accounting major, and I remember when I was in school, one of the things that I used to procrastinate the most was for my paper. So I went on YouTube, and I saw this video, and it hit home. I want to share just a couple of minutes with you, and maybe you can relate to this. So in college, I was a government major, which means I had to write a lot of papers. Now, when a normal student writes a paper, they spread the work out a little like this. So, you know... You get started maybe a little slowly, but you get enough done in the first week that with some heavier days later on, everything gets done and things stay civil. And I don't want to do that like that. That would be the plan. I would, uh, I would have it all ready to go, but then, then, then that, that shit, the paper would come along, and then I would kind of do this. <laughs> and that would happen in every single paper. But then came my 90-page senior thesis paper you're supposed to spend a year on. I knew for a paper like that, my normal workflow was not an option, it was way too big a project. So I planned things out and I decided it kinda had to go something like this. This is how the year would go. So I'd start off light and I'd bump it up in the middle months and then at the end, I would kick it up to high gear. It's just a little staircase. How hard can you just walk up the stairs? No big deal, right? But then, funniest thing happened, those first few months, they came and went, and I, I couldn't quite do stuff. So we had an awesome new revised plan. And then, but then those middle months actually went by, and I didn't really write words. And so we were here. And then two months turned into one month, turned into two weeks. And one day I woke up with three days until the deadline, Still not having written a word. And so I did the only thing I could. 
I wrote 90 pages over 72 hours, pulling not one, but two all-nighters. Humans are not supposed to pull two all-nighters. Sprinted across campus, dove in slow motion, and got it in just at the deadline. I thought that was the end of everything. But a week later, I get a call, and it's the school. And they said, Tim Urban, and I say, yeah. And they say, we need to talk about your thesis. I say, okay. And they say, it's the best one we've ever seen. <laughs> that did not happen. <laughs> it was a very, very bad thesis. I just wanted to enjoy that one moment when all of you thought, this guy is amazing. <laughs> no, no, it was very, very bad. How many procrastinators do we have here with respect to papers? I was like that like my entire time while I was in college. And unfortunately, there's certain things that you can't procrastinate. Now, procrastination with me, it started intensifying. I started noticing that as I getting older, I started procrastinating for other things. Like for example, my wife is right here, in I can't lie in front of my wife, and she, she'd be the first one to tell you that one of the things that I procrastinate a lot about is when it comes to doing stuff at home. Something gets broken and needs to be repaired, and it's just, just, okay, I'll do it tomorrow. Today's a long day, we've been in church all day, you know what? And it just tends to procrastinate. Uh, everything that has to do with home things, things that got broken or you gotta assemble things. I remember when Luca was born, we had to assemble the crib. She wanted me to assemble the crib six months before he was born. Babe, babe, he's, he's not born yet, but yet, you know. And constantly I realized that with time, I would keep procrastinating for a lot of different things. I've even procrastinated about preparing the Sunday evening sermon, I must confess. But I want to share with you a little bit about procrastination because maybe you don't understand the whole concept behind it. It's more than you probably think. Procrastination is not just delaying or postponing something. It's also the avoidance of doing a task which needs to be accomplished. It's also the practice of doing more pleasurable things in place of less pleasurable things. I know I got more people as I go on with this definition, right? Here's another one. It's carrying out less urgent tasks instead of more urgent ones, thus putting off impending tasks to a later time. When we started doing this design, I had the idea of, you know, since we have nation in the word procrastination, just putting the United States there because we've become a country that procrastinates. And I don't have time to get into it, but procrastination is everywhere you look around. I came across an ancient proverb that I really liked that actually goes against the whole concept of procrastination. And it's, it goes a little something like this. If and when were planted and nothing grew. If and when were planted and nothing grew. You know, things don't grow just because you desire them you got to be proactive in doing something. And I'm going somewhere with this. I know we still haven't read the Bible, but I'm trying to build up something because there's certain things that you could procrastinate and, and you can get away with it, like papers, like Tim Urban was saying. But there's other things that you really need to go ahead and do it when it's due. It's reported, and this is a true story, that Colonel Rao, commander of the British troops in Trenton, New Jersey, he was playing cards when a courier brought an urgent message stating that General George Washington 
was crossing the Delaware River. Well, Raw didn't even read the letter. He put it in his pocket, didn't bother to read it until the game was finished. And then, once he realized the seriousness of the situation, he hurriedly tried to rally his men to meet the coming attack. But his procrastination was his undoing. He and many of his men were killed, and the rest of the regiment were captured. Nobert Quayle said, only a few minutes delay cost him his life, his honor, and the liberty of his soldiers. Earth history is strewn with the wrecks of half-finished plans and unexecuted resolutions. Tomorrow is the excuse of the lazy and the refuge of the incompetent. Very strong words, but true. They even made a little rhyme about procrastination. It goes a little something like this. Procrastination is my sin. It brings nothing but sorrow. I know that I should stop. In fact, I will tomorrow. That's the way we live. We procrastinate about everything. And I know I got your attention now. The good news is that procrastination is not too serious, and it's something that could be helped and could be resolved, but with effort. So I want you to touch two or three people that are around you, and I want you to tell them that procrastination... It's not the end of the world. It's not a hopeless situation. It could be resolved, but we need to put effort. It requires effort. Procrastination in large part reflects our struggle with self-control. And I think that that's one of the things that we struggle with the most. And now let's take this over to our Christian life. I know you're not here to hear a lecture on procrastination. We're here to listen to the word of God. I want you to go quickly to the book of Matthew chapter 25 and you're going to see what I'm getting at because there's certain things that we need to make sure that we don't procrastinate, especially when it comes to the things of God. Amen? So Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 through 5, this is a very well-known parable and we're going to be able to dissect it here a little bit and you're going to see how important it is not to procrastinate, especially with the things that have to do with God and the kingdom. It says... In verse 1, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins. Everybody say ten virgins. Who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish, they took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and they slept. So let's talk a little bit about this parable. It starts off in verse 1. Jesus is saying this parable and it's comparing the kingdom of heaven to these ten virgins. Now it's interesting that it's mentioning virgins. When you think about a virgin, what do you think about? Purity. All right, somebody that's pure. What else? I heard somebody in, in the back say something. Clean. All right. Pure, clean, somebody that saved herself for marriage to be with the right person. So you think about somebody that's pure. Keep in mind that all 10 of them were all virgins. It's not talking about five virgins and five non-virgins. It's not talking about five virgins and, and five party animals. It's talking about 10 virgins. But there was a difference between these two sets of virgins. And this is what the parable drives home today. And this is what has to do with procrastination. The Bible says that they went to meet the bridegroom. Throughout the Bible, there's always a relationship between Jesus and the church. The church is not a building. We are the church. Amen? Jesus didn't die for a building. He died for people. He died for me. He died for you. He died for the world. 
so that their sins could be paid through the blood of Jesus if I allow Jesus to do that. So Jesus died for everyone. And when you're talking about 10 virgins, think about it as a church, right? These are people that come to church. They're trying to live a holy life. So the question might be, well, what separates one set of virgins from the other set of virgins? There are a ton of them are virgins trying to do the right thing, trying to live right, trying to do as best as they can. So what separates them? If you read the verses, you realize that there's just one thing that's separating one group of virgins from the other. And it's the fact that one group had what? Oil in their lampstands. Bible says that the bridegroom was coming, and this is a symbol of what is to come, what we call the rapture, and we'll get into that in just a little bit. This first group of virgins, they didn't have oil in their lamps. The foolish ones did not, the wise ones did. They had oil. So let's talk a little bit about what, what oil represents. Oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Everybody say Holy Spirit. Oil symbolizes anointing, right? Anointing is mentioned 20 times in the Bible. In the Old Testament, whenever a king was going to be anointed as the next king of Israel, they would anoint him with oil. It was something representative of the presence of God. When somebody was appointed high priest with the people of Israel, there would be anointing oil poured over their head. So anointing oil, it was symbolizing of the Holy Spirit, the fact that they had God in them, right? They had the presence of God. These five wise virgins had oil in their lamps, whereas the five foolish ones did not. The five wise virgins prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and the five foolish ones didn't. Although they did come to church, probably, right? And for the most part, did all they can to live a pure life because in the end, they were virgins. Now keep reading with me. Verse 6, we're going to read all the way through 10. And look what happens after this. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, no, lest there should be not enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And verse 10 says, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Now, I don't have time to explain all this about the midnight cry, but how many were here when we did the return? You guys remember when we talked a little bit about Jesus' return, right? If not, you could go on our podcast, you could listen to it. Because the Bible talks about one day when Jesus is going to come back for us. There's going to be a second coming of Jesus when he literally comes to earth. But before that, the Bible says that he's going to come and descend into the clouds. And with a voice of trumpet, he's going to call the people and all those that are filled with oil, right? Filled with the Holy Spirit and living a godly life will be raptured into heaven. And that's going to be the wedding of the Lamb. That's what the Bible says. There was a cry that was heard. The bridegroom is coming. I see the midnight cry as what we're living today. The Bible doesn't tell us a key date when Jesus would come for the church, but it tells us about signs when things start happening or when this goes like this, when people start calling things that are bad good and things that are good bad, then you know the time is closed, when there's going to be a lot of wars, when there's going to be, a, and there's a whole bunch of signs that the Bible talks about, and everything has been fulfilled. So I believe with all my heart that we're living the midnight cry. 
when they're saying, hey, the bridegroom is coming, Jesus is coming, get ready. And the Bible says that there was a lot of time that passed to the point that these virgins fell asleep, right, symbolically, and they fell into slumber, but then a cry was heard. I believe with all my heart that tonight, every time you come to church, this generation that we're living is that cry that God is giving out to his people to say, get ready, Jesus is coming, so we got to make sure we have oil in our lamps. How many say amen? Tell the person close to you. Tell them, Jesus is coming soon. He's coming back for us. He promised he would do that. So that's the midnight cry. And the Bible says that the cry woke them up. And here's what happened. The five that didn't have oil, they said, well, we're not ready. So what they did is they went to the ones that had oil and they said, you know what? We don't have any. Why don't you give us some and then we'll both have at least half or have something. But this is what the Holy Spirit ministered to my heart when I was meditating on this. We try to come to church and we believe just because we come to church or just because we have a mom that comes to church, we think we're doing all right. The kingdom of God, the relationship with God is something that's personal. You can't depend on somebody else's oil. You know, if you're a husband, you can't depend on your wife's oil and say, well, my wife goes to church. Or, you know, No, 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 this is a personal situation. See, Jesus came to die for us as a person. Not for you as a family. Jesus doesn't have any grandchildren. He has children. And he wants you to have a relationship with him. And that's how you start building oil. The Bible associates oil with the Holy Spirit. So as we have a relationship with God, we're building that oil inside of us, right? We're getting filled up the Holy Spirit. The Bible, time and time again, encourages us to have a relationship with God. That's more than just coming to church. It's more than just a religion. It's about knowing that, man, I could be in my house on a Monday afternoon. I just got back from work. I could just go into my room, lock myself up, and I can talk with God. Me. I could talk with God. I don't need to go through a pastor. I don't need to go through anybody. I have open access to God. But these five foolish virgins, even though they were doing the right thing, they were virgins, they were churchgoers and stuff, they didn't have a relationship with God. And all of a sudden, they want to cling on to the people that were having a relationship with God. And, and I love it because they said, you know what? I can't give you of my oil because if I give you of my oil, then I would have none. Why don't you guys go and buy oil from those that sell it, and then we'll all have. And the Bible says in this story, in the parable, it says that as they were going to buy oil, the bridegroom came, got the virgins that were ready and that had oil in their lamps, took them and closed the door, and the door was closed shut. It literally says that. What he's trying to say is that we need to be ready. I could picture the foolish virgins started telling the, the ones that had oil, hey, you know what, let me get some oil. And they're like, no, you got to have your own relationship with Christ. And they just kept on postponing and, and procrastinating their relationship with God. And they never got to get oil. And it's so easy, man. I could just, it could start today if you determine yourself. You probably never have prayed, if there's somebody here that's never prayed to God, never asked for the Holy Spirit until this day, but you could start today, and that's it. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, once you call out to him, he's not going to reject you. What I deduce from this is that these foolish virgins, they never took the time to seek God. They knew a lot about God probably. Like I said, they probably came to church. They probably worshiped and everything, but they never had a personal relationship with God. And when the time came, the Bible says that the ones that were ready 
went with the bridegroom and the door was shut. Everybody say the door was shut. So look what verse 8 says now. It says, the foolish ones realized that they had no oil and asked the virgins, hey, let me get some of your oil. Then they said, this is my version, you got to get your own and buy for yourselves. So I want you to understand this. It costs to have oil in your lamp. It costs to have oil in your lamp. It's not cheap. There's a price to pay. It takes time. And sometimes we procrastinate with respect to that. I'm not judging anybody. It's, it happens to me. Sometimes I have a lot of things to do. You have to juggle all the things around. And, once, and when you get married and you have little kids, and it, it's a lot of things to do with the business, with the kingdom, with, and you have to juggle it all. But you have to make sure that you don't procrastinate the things that are really important. Because they probably had a lot of things going on for them, but they never took the time to say, you know what, I'm going to give time to God so that the Holy Spirit could fill me, so that I could know what direction God wants to take me, so that God could speak me every single day. And why weren't they willing? Well, because it costs to have oil in your lamp. Tell the person close to you, there's a price to be paid. Waking up early before you go to work, you could be sleeping. And how many of you guys go to sleep really late? How many night owls do we have here? Raise your hand, Carly. <laughs> Sometimes we go to sleep so late, and then, you know, we want to make the most out of our sleep time. And, man, to wake up an hour before to pray to God 45 minutes, and we're like, my gosh. You know, we snooze, 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 snooze. But it costs to take time. But, you see, that's what God is telling us there. One day, you see, the bridegroom's going to come. And the cry has already been given. We're living in the time of the cry, and the bridegroom is about to get here. For you guys that have been coming to church the past few weeks, the past few months, as a matter of fact, even in the Spanish service, we've been talking a lot about prayer and getting intimate with God and taking your prayer life to another level. I think that's part of the cry, that God's calling us to connect and not just be superficial in our Christianity, right? Because you could be very religious in your Christianity and just come and just do all the right things. But this is not about a religion. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about connecting with God, speaking with him every single day, you and him. The Bible says, lock yourself up in your room or in your bathroom or in your closet or wherever you want or go outside, wherever you could be alone with him and talk to him. Tell him the things that are going on in your life. You don't have to say all the right words, but have a relationship with God. And the more you do that, you know what? The more you're going to start to know how God thinks, the more God's heart is going to transfer over to your heart. You're going to start being more successful because God knows everything he's written about you. God created you with an incredible purpose. God created you with so many successes. And the only way you could achieve that is by connecting with God. You know, as we go to him and as we pay the cost while other people are doing other things, you know, I'm seeking God. Other people could be partying. You know, I'm, I'm seeking God. I know what I'm doing. I'm not wasting my time. I'm not being stupid. I'm building and I'm working for my eternity. I know that 80 years here in this earth is nothing compared to eternity with Christ. I want to make sure that I live out every single dream that God had for me here on earth, but also I'm focused on eternity. God has an amazing plan for me. He has a mansion for me over there. God has prepared a place for me. So while I'm here, I need to pay the cost. And that cost is 
having a relationship with God. How many say amen? It's that oil that we got to go after. There's a price to be paid to be filled with the Spirit. There are certain things you can procrastinate and get away with. You know, we talked about papers. But when it comes to your walk with God, your desire and passion to be filled with the Holy Spirit, especially knowing that the prophetic clock now has just struck midnight, man, you can't afford to procrastinate. In fact, that is when you have to proclaim death to procrastination. That's when you have to stand up and say, hey, I've been fooled to do so many things. I've been distracted. I need to start doing things that I've been planning to start for a long time, but haven't been able to get to start. So they went to go buy oil, and the Bible says that it was too late. While they went to buy, the bridegroom came. Those who were ready went with him to the wedding. The Bible says that the door was shut. Does that remind you about a story in the Bible? It reminds me of Noah's Ark. You guys remember when the whole flood came? Nobody believed this guy that for 120 years he was preaching, look, there's going to be a flood on earth. There's going to be water coming down from heaven, which they weren't used to seeing. It didn't rain back then. It's going to be a flood over the entire earth. And they thought the guy was crazy until it started raining. And by that time, the Bible says that Noah and all his family went into the ark and God himself shut the door. That's representative of what's going to happen with the rapture. And what it's talking about here, the Bible says that the door was shut. God shut the door. I think that God has given us so much time. He sent us his prophets. He sends us his pastors to speak to us about how he wants us to make sure that our lamps are filled with oil. We come to church on a weekly basis. Some of us go to HOB. We come on Thursdays, and we are always constantly being challenged into seeking God and having a relationship with God that is lasting, that is healthy, filled of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we procrastinate with that. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Isn't that amazing? God's desire is that no one would perish, but that everybody would come to repentance, that everybody will come to him, that everybody will receive the sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross. That's what Jesus' desire is. He wants to save us all, but he's waiting patiently. Because he doesn't want anybody to perish. But there's going to come a day when that door is going to be shut and it's going to be too late. So why procrastinate? I think it's important to start today, if you haven't, to get your prayer life in order. To start seeking the Holy Spirit. To start seeking guidance from God. You know, maybe you've been having too many things on your own and that's really conflicted with your prayer life. But you know, if you take a determination right now to say, you know what, from this day on, I'm going to start seeking God's presence. I'm going to start pressing forward. I'm going to start seeking the presence of God. I'm going to ask God to fill me of his spirit, to fill me of his oil. Things are going to start changing. How many say amen? You're going to start seeing the difference. The door was shut. In Matthew 25, verse 11 and 12, look what happened afterwards. After the door was shut, the virgins came and said, Lord, Lord, open to us. And verse 12 says, but he answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Those are some pretty hard words. After the door was shut, these virgins that didn't have oil, they came and they heard that he was gone and, and they knocked at the door and they say, hey, I used to go to JTP. I used to, I used to serve. I was involved. I used to do this. I used to do that. 
And the words of Jesus will be, surely I say to you that I never knew you. Pay attention to those words because it's talking about relationship. You see, sometimes we think that because we come to church, we have a relationship with God. Or because we even serve God, we have a relationship with God. It's talking about relationship, about knowing you. He didn't say, look, you've never did anything for me. He didn't say, look, you didn't go to church. He didn't say, look, you weren't involved. He's talking about a relationship with God. And he says, look, I don't know who you are. So there's an association with the oil, right? And knowing God. It's referring to prayer and seeking God. My question to you today is, does God know you? Do you know God personally? Not just historically, not just pastor. I heard podcast last week and he talked about this. I'm not talking about, do you know the words that God said? I'm talking about, do you know God personally? Because that's what it's all about. And the last thing I want to do is spend all my life. I mean, I've been in church all my life. Literally, I think my mom gave birth to me in church. I've been here all my life. My dad was a preacher since he was eight years old. So imagine. But imagine being in church all my life, serving all my life, being a pastor all my life. But then one day the rapture comes and, and I stay and who are you? I don't know you because I never had a relationship with Christ. So I think that this parable has to do with procrastination. It has to do with making sure that you don't put off the things that are really important because it's so easy you could get caught up talk to me church i know that we struggle with prayer because it happens to me it happens to us all but you can't afford to not overcome in that struggle you gotta overcome you gotta press forward you gotta pay the price and say you know what i'm gonna separate this time if you have to put it in your agenda if you have to write it down if that helps you do it whatever it takes but it's important to have a relationship with christ i don't know about you but i don't want god saying that about me surely i say to you i do not know you how do we get to know god today we need to crucify procrastination right we could start off here in, in our relationship with God. God is seeking men. God is seeking women. God is seeking young people that will pay the price and the cost of relationship with him. People that will not procrastinate and put off the things that matter most in favor of trivial and superficial alternatives. When that day comes, when that day comes, you got to make sure that God knows you. You got to make sure that you are on the side of the five wise virgins and not on the side of the five foolish virgins. That he knows who you are. That when that time and that cry is heard, which is the time we're living now, we're, we're vigilant. We're diligent in keeping our relationship with God. The Bible says that we need to protect our salvation with, with fear. We need to be proactive with respect to this. And he finishes off the parable with a piece of advice because we are still in time. The good thing is that we're not too late. Check out verse 13. It says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. This is the message for us, church. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. It could be today. Question is, are we ready 
If he comes today, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, I don't have time to show you all this, but the Bible says it's going to be in a blink of an eye. He's going to come down and he's going to call us out. The Bible says that those who have died in Christ will resurrect first and their bodies will be transformed in the air. There's going to be some crazy stuff happening. And then those who are alive, the Bible says that our bodies will be transformed in the air and we will go to the wedding of the lambs. Interesting, wedding, wedding, wedding. The question is, are we prepared for when that time comes? It's not going to give you time to say, okay, oh, I heard the cry. Let me get my prayer life. Let me repent of all my sins. Let me start going to church. It's not going to give you time because it's going to be in a blink of an eye. I think that's why these foolish virgins didn't have time to buy their oil. Now is the time. Now that you hear the cry that's saying the bridegroom is right around the corner, now is when we as a church need to get up, start seeking God's will, start connecting with God and asking God, what does he want from us? The Bible says that the only way we can be saved is through Jesus Christ. How many say amen? How many of you guys want salvation? I loved the apostles' message today because nowadays they don't mention hell a lot in churches. But the Bible talks about hell. There is such place called hell. It's not something fictional. It's not something people made up. The Bible says that there's a place where the fire never stops, where there's a worm that eats flesh and the worm never dies. I mean, that's pretty sickening. And the enemy, Satan, wants to take all those people who don't confess Jesus Christ and don't live a life according to God into that place. But that's where Jesus comes in. He's a God of hope. He's a God of blessing. He doesn't want, like we just read in 2 Peter, anybody to perish, but that every single person will have everlasting life. But it's on us. I mean, he did everything he had to do. He came here being God. He walked among us. He was perfect. Despite being perfect, he was spit at. He was crucified. And he knew what he was doing. He was doing it all for you and me. So that we wouldn't have to pay the price of our sin. So that we wouldn't have to go to hell. And he gave himself up. But now today, we choose so many things before God. And we don't give him the glory that he deserves. We struggle just to give him 10 minutes sometimes in our morning to, to connect with him and to say, God, you know, I want to follow after you. Fill me of your Holy Spirit. Give me of that oil. Let me be passionate for the things of the kingdom. God, if my eyes are taking me to other places and I'm getting unfocused, God, bring me back into where you want me to be. That's what God is calling his people to do today. Stand on your feet today.